0: What is design thinking? More importantly, how does it fit into compliance? Join two fans of design thinking for the compliance profession, Tom Fox, the compliance evangelist, and Karsten Tams, ethical business architect and founder of Emigence, LLC, as they explore how the compliance profession can use design thinking to more fully operationalize a compliance program. In this episode, Karsten Tams and myself take up the design thinking tool of a design sprint. We explain what it is, how you can use it, and why we both think it is so powerful and can be greatly used by the compliance professional. I know you'll enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Carson Tams for another episode of Design Thinking and Compliance. Today, we're going to take up uh, a topic that, frankly, is a lot of fun and that is running a design sprint. So Carson, first of all, welcome back.
1: I'm excited to be back so Karsten, with you Tom. Uh,
0: maybe we could start off by you just describing what is a design sprint. Sure.
1: Um so uh a design sprint is, is is really a good um point of conversation because I think it's a it's a good example to illustrate, you know, what a des- design thinking process looks like. Um and uh you know all of it that is involved and um it's also quite um you know, it will demonstrate that uh, design thinking, while producing magical results, it's it's not really that difficult to do. It's not brain brain science. It is it is uh, some of the magic of design thinking is that it's um, it's a lot of it is common sense and easy to apply. Um, so the way I would describe it is uh, that it has it's kind of a two times or a three times two formula. And what I mean by that is that it consists of three major phases, Uh, and those are first um, the phase of problem discovery, second the phase of idea generation, and third the phase of uh, solution development. And uh, I said three times two, so each of these three phases is divided into two um, sub-steps, if you want to call it that, and... um, these two sub-steps are often in, in books and on the websites to, talking about design thing. You will often find these um, illustrated by um, a diamond shape. And what this diamond shape describes is, a two, um, is, is that these steps consist first uh, always of a divergent uh, phase and then they are followed by a convergent phase. So the divergent phase is a phase where, uh, you know, we spread out, we... Um, we try to gather more information to understand the problem. We do research. We amass, uh, you know, data and what have you. And then that's followed by uh, we kind of bring all that back together um, and and we, we say, okay, what do we learn here from, from the research we have done? You know, how can we distill it down to a very focused, very precise problem statement? Okay, so this is this is how these two phases would work out during the first um, the understanding the problem phase. Um, and it works similarly in the ideation first. So first you diverge, you develop as many uh, and hopefully some bold and crazy ideas in the diverge phase. And then you me- w- move to the converge phase where you, uh, where you group, categorize, you prioritize, you select those few ideas that hold the greatest promise to produce meaningful results. Um, and then in the third phase, again um, uh, in, the, in the solution space, you start by prototyping. So you 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 develop the the prototype with its various features. You try out new things as you go along, um, and then again you move to a converge phase where you subject your uh, your prototype to to a test by users, and you say, okay, what are we learning? What are we seeing here? What should we trim down? What do we need to re? A, a tweak. So that's that's pretty much the um, the process of a design thinking sprint. And what makes it a sprint is that it's a time constrained process. So typically a sprint will um, involve let's say three to f- five sessions, and they can range anywhere from an hour to um, to a whole afternoon for each, um, or more half day. Um, and uh, but what it does is that it can really help you. Um make quick progress when you're confronting a, a design challenge. Maybe you, you want to redesign your code. Maybe you want to um, you know completely change the way you do risk assessment in your company. A um, a design, a design um, sprint will really allow you to make very quick pro- uh, progress towards a, a, f- uh, um, a fairly mature prototype. Uh, over a, f- a, f- a, few, so Karsten, a few
0: sessions. So, uh I started off by saying this is one of the more fun parts of design thinking. Let me tell you why I think it can be so fun. Uh, the first one is the identification of the problem. Uh, so I'm the compliance evangelist. I've written 20 books on compliance. I know what you need. But that's not what design thinking is about. Design thinking is about everyone talking about what they need. That could be the frontline business development person, That could be the internal auditor. That might be a a senior executive with oversight responsibility. And so in the defining the problem phase, you get to hear a lot of different problems from a lot of different perspectives that I think can bring incredible insight because you may, myself as an outside compliance expert or, or you as a compliance consultant, you may not see problems or you may not be aware of problems or you may not know of problems that exist within an organization. But the, the really fun part for me is when you come together uh, to come up with new ideas. And some people use the, uh, the phrase, uh, well, you're just spitballing, you're throwing spaghetti against the wall. That really doesn't capture it, though, because you're throwing spaghetti against the wall and then you're talking about the form that is created. You're talking about that idea, whether it's on a yellow sticky up on a whiteboard, whether it's a um, written on a piece of paper, whatever it may be, and every idea can be then considered by the group. Once again, it's not Carson's opinion of an idea; it's not Tom's opinion; it's the group's opinion. And I have seen some wide-ranging, flea, flea-flowing. Flea free-flowing conversations in this phase now frankly, have been some of the most enjoyable times I've had in the corporate world because it's a, an exchange of information and, as you correctly note, time-constrained. So you have to put rigor and conciseness around your discussion, and you certainly uh, typically would have a moderator or a facilitator moving the process along. But uh, it really harks back. Uh, I'm a huge fan of classical Greece. Uh, in Athens, where every opinion opinion is considered, every opinion is voiced. And that strategy and tactic of, of classical Greece and the Athenian city-state, I think, serves us well today in the design thinking. And one thing you emphasized in the first podcast we did in this podcast series was the increased effectiveness of your compliance program based on engagement. And these two steps are, are really that, their engagement with a wide variety of stakeholders so that they feel like they're, they're a part of the process because they are a part of the process. And uh, it can also be incredibly fun. You can hear new ideas. Uh, some may have less merit than others, uh, but that's a part of the, the idea process. And so I've really enjoyed these two steps, uh, and they've been fun. And like I said, that's not something you take... Typically think of when you're doing a code of conduct update, uh, that it can be fun. So um, I was wondering if you might share some of your thoughts around that collaborative nature of both of those steps, and maybe whether you think it's fun, whether you think it's intellectually uh, interesting, it's, it appeals to your natural curiosity, or is it something else?
1: Oh, yeah, no. Uh... This is, um, you, you You. You know, you touched on so much here, and uh, first of all, I want to say I, I'm, I'm excited to hear that we share a, a fascination for uh, Greek philosophy, Greek antiquity, uh, uh, and the whole, you know, Athens, the polis, and, and how they organized things and how they promoted citizen engagement. Maybe we need to do a... <laughs> a podcast one day about that issue that that could be a lot of fun um but back to your back to your to your question yeah uh no you you described uh, a lot of the things that i find i find uh fascinating about design thinking um as you rightly say they turn something that can often feel arduous and and challenging and technical into into a collaborative experience that um i i believe everybody who who takes part in it can can really find uh, a lot of enjoyment in and, st- and, and stimulation and inspiration. Um, you know, I think uh, many of us, we kind of approach um, uh, kind of solving problems uh, uh, and innovation with this idea, well, you know, let's just come together, meet at a table and uh, and bounce around some ideas, have a discussion, and then, you know, certainly something good will come of it. Uh, but uh, you know, when we when we don't uh, apply a certain structure and methodology to to this process of problem solving and and innovation, um, often some some dysfunctional things happen. Right? Somebody throws out a, 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 a kind of um, out of left field idea, something really unconventional, and sure enough, there'll be one or two people who um, who have doubts, who say, "Oh, you know what? I'm not sure that's gonna work." And um, and you know what? What happens is that this this type of uh, uh, fr- free for all or unstructured dynamic it it really and that's one of the key insights I think from design thinkers, it really hampers the the, the free flow of ideas, the discovery of unconventional, unthought of um, solutions, um, and and this is where the beauty of this this two step comes in, where you really try to separate, okay, right now. We are going to only focus on ideating ideas, and we encourage everyone to go to go wild, think outside the box, and we will withhold judgment—not just of other people's ideas, but even we try to withhold judgment uh, on our own ideas. Something that many of us, including myself, we are not necessarily um, used to. You know, there is constantly a, a voice in our head, you know, monitoring what our thoughts are, if those thoughts m- may or may not be socially uh, uh, admissible or popular. Uh, so and design thinking, ha- with its methods and tools, uh, makes it much easier for us to suspend the, uh, this kind of judgment and, uh, and to, to push it. You know, there is a time for evaluation, for analysis, for throwing out ideas. And another thing that, that you mentioned that is super important in my view uh, and, and really describe um, explains some of the magic is that um, ideas don't belong to the people who voice them. And it's really um, you know, you, you you utter you utter an idea and then and then it's part of the of, of the commons, ideas commons so to speak. Um, and you know maybe an idea is crazy and not 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 useful, but others might see it as a jumping off point to, to find, ultimately arrive at something that is uh, potentially useful. So um, uh, uh, you know I think uh, it might have been Montesquieu who said you know the the, the, the purpose of, of laws is really to establish and promote freedom, and I think that's that's similar here. Uh, the purpose of the methodology. Um, And and the structure of design thinking is really to facilitate the free expression and the free free exploration of of ideas. And that makes it so beautiful. So for everyone
0: listening to this podcast, we have to uh, stop for a moment to uh, notify you that for the first time in 3,000 podcasts, we have a reference to Montesquieu. So an all-time podcast first for the Compliance Podcast Network. Well done, Karsten. Carson, let me, uh, uh, first of all, uh, as uh, hopefully our listeners are aware, we are basing uh, our part of our podcast series on some postings you put up in LinkedIn, and we've linked to those in our show notes, and we'll continue to link to those. But in your posting on uh, running a design sprint, you created a character, Olivia, and you created that character to tell a story about running a design sprint. So I was wondering if we might turn to, the Olivia story, and how you envisioned Olivia utilizing uh, the design sprint at, throughout the process for the problems she faced as a CECO, chief ethics and compliance officer.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. So, as you said, yeah, I created Olivia's story. So, um, I wanted to make the the design thinking, um, you know, what it is a little bit more, uh, you know, show how it can potentially a and be used by ethics and compliance practitioners and so uh, olivia in this story is is a person who was recently appointed as the new chief and ethics and compliance officer in a large company and usually what happens in this type of scenarios is that um, these people either by their own motivation or because they are maybe uh, instructed to do so they take a thorough um, look at the program and say, you know, is, is this a solid progr- program or is there something we, n- we need to change and, and do we need to upgrade possibly our program, refresh it. And so that's what she sets out to do. She does an initial program assessment. She realizes, you know, all the boxes are being checked. We have a code, we have a training, we have a reporting mechanisms, we have a risk assessment. Uh, so all these, uh, you know, basic requirements are all, all in place. But what she realizes is that it is also quiet in the ethics and compliance department, meaning uh, she doesn't really feel there is a lot of engagement with the business units or um, with employees. She feels like she's only hearing about, you know, the very small tip of the iceberg when it comes to. Uh, Questions employees may be having relating to the application of code principles and what have you. Uh, the reporting lines may be a little bit too, more quiet than they should be. So what she identifies as a need is to say, you know, how can we design our program? How can we assume a posture as an ENC function that is truly um, engaging for employees, where employees see us as a, as a and, and business units see us as, as this valued business partner? And as a trusted uh, source of, of, of support and, and guidance, um, and so um, she invites her team uh, to go on on a on a design sprint. And um, uh, so so first she assembles a team, and she says, you know, I'm gonna not do this exclusively with my with my own people. Uh, she she looks for a few people from. Adjacent government's risk compliance functions, maybe HR, maybe legal, maybe audit. Uh, but she also uh, invites um, a few, a few end users, uh, or otherwise, you know, employees who will be the people using using the program. Um, and uh, so, as in a typical design thinking process, they start by understanding. Uh, the needs uh, so what what uh, the needs of users so what do they do they look at some data maybe from an employee survey um, that tells them how satisfied uh, people are with the uh, with, with the code or with the training um, or maybe to speak up uh, you know whatever eth- ethically relevant information it might there might be they they may look uh, for web analytics they go they check uh, you know how how frequently do people use our website, you know, how many users visit it, how is that changing uh, over time, how long do they stay on the site, how quickly do they ab- abandon the site, do they use multiple links on the site, etc. So the standard things that that people would do um, using web analytics. But they may also, uh, you know, fan out and each of the team members might sit down with five uh, employees or let it be two employees and, and uh, go over the code or go over the website or go over... Uh, uh, the training and and listen to users you know how are you experiencing this you know what do you like what 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 should be retained what are things that we can improve so this is the, the phase of understanding users and their needs um, and then uh, based on that they design um, they design uh, now now comes the, 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 the moment to zero in on the design problem and in this context they may go through an exercise such as developing personas. Um, and uh, so let me just quickly say what personas are in design thinking. Personas are abstract, like fictional representations of users. So you you take the the insights you've gained from from your research and your your interviews with users, and you turn them into representative user personas that describe you know who is that person, what what are their likes, what are their capabilities, etc. And this will be a reference point throughout the 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 uh, design process. And and you describe the unmet need that currently exists, and then you turn that into a problem statement, or some people call it a how-might-we statement. And the how-might-we statement really boils down the problem you're trying to solve. In Olivia's case, they define it as, how might we expand employees' opportunities to actively participate in upholding the company's ethical values? And how can we support them with the resources they need to do so competently and effectively? So, because their research realized, um, you know, many employees said or users said, you know, this this instructs us with a lot of things we should or shouldn't do. But we feel we already do that. But we, you know, we have ethical values, and we, uh, uh, you know, often we want to intervene, but we don't know how to, or we don't know if we are allowed to. Um, so. Uh, so that was that was the uh, unmet need that was discovered, but maybe i'll I'll make a quick pause here at the end of the problem discovery so stage
0: the um The problem discovery I articulated a little bit earlier as as a way to more fully engage with a wider variety of employees and what you've detailed for us I think really shows the power of this and how uh, a facilitator is is that the role you would call it a facilitator?
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. I, that's, that's exa- The, the, the designer, the new designer and design thinking speak, I think it's his or her role is primarily that of and, being a facilitator. Um, and so to get I'm those like, ideas, yeah, but ahead.
0: it equally important. And I know this is, is music to your ears is the structure of the process, because it could be a, a free for all, uh, but with the structure around it, it really guides people's thinking, but that really leads to uh, sort of the next step on, uh, uh, brainstorming and, of course, leading to selecting the most uh, promising ideas. Why don't you walk us through those steps?
1: So, and, and I share your sentiment from from earlier that really brainstorming ideas. I think that is uh, the the high point, that uh, the funnest point, um, because there's so many eureka, or aha moments. You know, if you if you do it well, you often think, oh wow, I you know I couldn't have thought of that, but that's 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 such a bold idea, you know, and you, you really embrace this um, the spirit um, of of innovation. Um, yeah, so um, so for for example, here um, the Olivia's team um, she um, uh, she said, okay, so let's let's come up with ideas. You know, how can we expand employees' opportunities to um, uh, 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 to um, well? In this case, um, the focus was on um, on developing. Um, de- developing a new brand identity for the ethics and de- compliance department that would be more engaging. So they would do a brainwriting exercise. So this is similar to, to brainstorming, but uh, brainwriting, what happens in brainwriting is let's say you have three ta- people around a table. Everybody is given, you know, three minutes to, or five minutes to write down a few ideas on, on those famous uh, uh, po- uh, sticky notes um, or, actually, or on a sheet of paper. And then... Um, afterwards, they are being passed around. Uh, so everybody, let's say, passes their ideas, sticking notes to the right, and then others build, are asked to build on these ideas of others. So, you know, what, what other thoughts does that inspire? So within a short time frame, depending on how many users are involved uh, and how many iterations you do, um, you know, you, you quickly, uh, those ideas, exponentially you get very quickly a, a lot of ideas, um, you know, with few users you can quickly generate a hundred sticky notes and often you find in in, in the in the quantity you find uh, quite a few gems also um, so that would be an example of what you can do to the, the, the ideation brainstorming phase and then you move on to the to the, uh, to the the selection phase the, the conversion phase and and this often starts with uh, first categorizing these ideas you know there's there's going to be a lot of ideas that are very similar that are related to each other you you put, place them together, you put them in the same category, um, and then you might do uh, an exercise where the group uh, participates in prioritizing these ideas, maybe based on criteria such as ease of development, number one, and number two, potential impact. These are two dimensions that are very frequently used in such an, uh, such an uh, exercise. And then lastly, uh, you, you really determine, um, and that can be done jointly, by the group, or it could be done by the project sponsor or the chief ethics and compliance officer who said, okay, so this is the picture of the ideas, and, and now we're going to zero in on these two or three ideas and carry them to the next stage, which is, which is the, the solution uh, development stage or the, the prototyping and testing stage.
0: So, the, um, after uh, these steps, uh, we then move to testing. And I wondered if you give us could give us some of your thoughts around this step. But uh, also, in your creation of Olivia and her story, her story continues. And part of that continuation is actually kind of doing what we're doing, sharing with the compliance community. We're doing it in a podcast format, but you chose to have Olivia Olivia share her story at a conference. So I was wondering, um, how do you do, – how does Olivia or how does ACICO help share some of this knowledge that they've gained if they go through uh, a design sprint and, and indeed an entire design thinking uh, process for reworking any part of their compliance program?
1: Yeah, so I, I think uh, design thinking is really an, uh, an opportunity for ethics and compliance practitioners to um, really uh, push push the needle to 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 come up with, I think there's a lot of Opportunity for innovation and improvement, in particular as it relates to making our, uh, you know, our offerings more engaging, more useful, um, and, and and used by by employees. Um, and so, any any design think, uh, sorry, any any ethics and compliance practitioner who is interested in creating this this true uh, effectiveness, right? That only comes when people actually use the code, use pay attention to the training, use the reporting uh, systems, what have you, they should really take a good, close look at design thinking. And so that's um, because, yeah, and then, you know, and then in the spirit of design, design thinking, the hope is, of course, that people will go out and, and share their insights and help the uh, ethics and compliance community as a whole uh, to to continue to improve and to uh, uh, to innovate, um, so in her case yes she, got, she does she goes to one of the um, you know major gatherings where ethics and compliance professional meets, and she talks about her experience and she highlights three uh, three benefits that that the exercise had had for her um, and the first one is that um, that ENC programs can become more effective as a result to applying a design thinking approach and why is that well because of design thinking specific focus on uh, On user needs, right so if you apply design thinking you're much more likely to create a code of conduct, for example, that when employees open it, they say, "Oh, you know what this is actually a useful tool for me, whether it be to clarify some questions I might be having about potentially eth- ethically problematic conduct or whether it is to find information about who I can reach out to, etc. The second benefit is that uh, design thinking, each time you do a design thinking exercise, you deepen and you expand your social bonds, the, uh, the bonds of trust that you, you as an ENC function have with the organization. Um, and, and I think trust is an extremely valuable currency for us. You know, we want employees to come to us with potentially sensitive questions, sensitive uh, uh, uh problems concerns ob- observations about misconduct what have you and with without trust that that is not likely to happen um, and um, lastly um, for Olivia also this design thinking exercise was a catalyst to shift uh, the thinking in her team um, obviously traditionally uh, you know we have um, we are very focused on um, on delinquency uh of of employees, right? So we often look through that lens, and there's you know there's, there's legitimacy to that. But it's imp- what this design thinking exercise can help to is to also focus on people's um, positive capabilities as they relate to uh, you know maintaining ethical values within a company. You know we uh, people are the best detection system. You know the eyes and ears of employees uh, is the best detection. And design thinking can help us uh, find ways to to tap into this this human, this intellectual capital that sits uh, right in front of us. So those were the key, the three benefits that, that Olivia um, shared uh, during that ethics Person, and compliance I can't event. think
0: of a better way to end this episode. Uh, so I hope our listeners will uh, join us again uh, for our next episode where we're going to take up tailoring a design thinking project that fits and. I greatly look forward to continuing this conversation.
1: Me too, Tom. Thank you.
0: Okay. This is Tom Fox. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Design Thinking in Compliance. Carson and I have put together a package of resources for you if you'd like additional information on design thinking. They're all listed in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions, please contact Carson or myself directly. Once again, our contact information is in the show notes. If you'd like something a little bit different, check out Effing Argentina, where with my co-host Greg Greenberg, we take up 11 tales of exasperation in modern American life. It's a little bit different, but it's a whole lot of fun. Also on the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to visiting with you again.